Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of The Story of the Six. We have great news, dear listeners. Season 2 is being recorded as we speak and will be launched soon. Sarpreet Singh is writing episode 9 right now, which is about the creation of the Khalsa, and apparently he is enjoying it thoroughly. This bonus episode, however, is about Sarpreet Singh's very exciting new project. Let's hear from him directly. Recording this episode in my boyhood home in Gangtok, I got here last night and ventured out in the morning to acquaint myself with the majesty of the Himalayas again. Of course, it took all of a nanosecond. You cannot help but feel a visceral sense of awe as you take in the soaring peaks and the endless vistas that stretch before you. It's so wonderful to be home. I am in India for the launch of my new book, The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia, a collection of non-fiction stories set in the court of Maharaja Ranjit Singh in the early 1800s. The book tour has been hectic, but very exciting. In the past three weeks, I have been to Delhi, Kolkata, Mumbai, Bangalore, Hyderabad, Chandigarh, Amritsar, Patiala, and many other places in the Punjab. I have addressed college students and high school students, and have had the opportunity to meet old friends and make new ones. I've been able to rub shoulders with many who were just names to me until now. But before I tell you more about the tour, let me tell you a bit about the book. The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia is set in the Lahore court of Maharaja Rajit Singh, but it is technically not about the emperor. Instead, it focuses on the many colorful characters who surrounded him, some heroic, some comical, and some tragic. The title story is about Josiah Harlan, a Quaker from Philadelphia who came to India to seek his fortune and eventually drifted to the Punjab. Once he had ingratiated himself with the Maharaja, he was able to wrangle a lucrative governorship, which he gleefully used to enrich himself until his greed brought about the inevitable fall from grace. After he returned to the US and found himself penniless again, He tried to restore his fortune by lobbying the War Department for a contract to import camels from Afghanistan for use in desert warfare during the impending civil war. 
You'll have to read the book to learn about the fate of his venture. I will, however, note that his efforts resulted in the arrival of perhaps the first documented Muslim immigrant to the U.S., a camel driver named Haji Ali, whose name was eventually corrupted to High Jolly. I have much sympathy for Haji Ali, as I have lived through 32 years of my name being mangled in very creative ways in the U.S. On a more serious note, the book examines in great detail the complex relationship between the Sikhs and the Afghans, respectively the de facto rulers of Punjab and its nominal overlords, and always at odds with each other. The fortunes of the Sadozais, the clan that Ahmad Shah Abdali, the ruler of Afghanistan, was from, and the Shukar Chakyas, Ranjit Singh's clan, were inexorably tied together, leading to dramatic moments of cruelty, oppression, gallantry, and even magnanimity. The rise and fall of Sadakor, Ranjit Singh's mother-in-law, and a brilliant woman in her own right, is probably the most poignant story told in the book. A woman of rare courage and foresight, Sadakor had an outsized role to play in the improbable ascension of Ranjit Singh to the throne. Her tragic end is hard to imagine and understand. Akali Fula Singh, the dowdy Jathedar or leader of the Akal Takhat, gets a chapter as well. And his relationship with Ranjit Singh, nominally his overlord, is fascinating, shedding light on both their personalities, as well as the deeply republican nature of the Sikhs, which greatly complicated the notion of bowing before anyone other than the Guru. Many other colorful characters populate this book, such as Bibi Mora Sarkar, the young courtesan that Ranjit Singh married over the opposition of the Sikhs, Mehtab Devi and Raj Banso, his two Rajput queens, the daughter of Raja Sansarchand of Kangra, Jean-Francois Allard and Jean-Baptiste Ventura, the French commanders of his cavalry and infantry, Martin Honigberger, his Hungarian physician, commanders like Alexander Gardner and Colonel Steinbach, all feature in the book as well. A chapter is devoted to the Dogra brothers, Rajputs from Jammu who started as humble cavalrymen and rose to great heights of power and glory in the court. The Dogras are much vilified in Sikh accounts and are often blamed for the demise of the empire. The book takes a rather nuanced view of the Dogras, recognizing each brother to be an individual, rather than tossing them all into the same trash can. The fall of Ranjit Singh's empire is a tragedy that can only be described as Shakespearean, replete with betrayal, murder, treachery, and the consequences of the vagaries of fate. The last couple of chapters address the dramatic fall of the empire in some detail. The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia attempts to present a rather unvarnished view of Maharaja Ranjit Singh's court. It is based mostly on first-person accounts by the plethora of visitors who came to Lahore, mostly in the 1820s and 30s. Since the Maharaja was an ally of the East India Company, 
It is no surprise that we find many accounts by Englishmen, Scotsmen, and Irishmen. In addition, there were visitors from France, Germany, Hungary, and America. I was also able to find two accounts written by Indians, Mohanlal Kashmiri and Samath Ali, recent graduates of a newly created college in Delhi, designed to train clerks or munshis, proficient in both Persian and English. Another invaluable source that I draw upon is a translation of the court diaries of Sohanlal Suri, the Maharaja's official diarist and scribe. In the end, an image of Maharaja Ranjit Singh emerges in relief, reflected in his interactions with the characters who surrounded him. I'm a great admirer of Maharaja Ranjit Singh's, and I believe that he is defined by his considerable accomplishments, his ability to read people, his deep-seated intellectual curiosity, and his benevolence. I also feel that there is no need to hide his foibles and his peccadilloes, which to me do nothing other than humanize him. My attempt has been to write a very accessible account of the Lahore Darbar, which my readers will hopefully find engaging and well-balanced. History is often a difficult subject, and many of us find it dry and uninteresting. I've approached this book as a storyteller rather than a historian in an attempt to make it fun and readable. I will let you decide whether I have succeeded or not. The book was launched a couple of months ago and is available on Amazon. Signed copies are available at many bookstores in the cities I visited during my tour, including several airport bookshops. The tour itself has been absolutely fabulous. Soon after I landed in Delhi, I was whisked away to various bookstores, including the very well-known Body Sons and Khan Market, which I have been visiting as a reader for decades. My first stop was Hyderabad, where the Algebra Club had invited me to speak at an event before a live audience. The Algebra Club has been hosting writers, filmmakers, TV personalities, and artists for a couple of years. The format is a free-ranging, informal conversation with a host, which is recorded and published on the web. I was one of three guests that day, and perhaps the only unknown, the other two guests were the actress and producer Ravina Tandon and India's publishing phenom Amish. I thoroughly enjoyed both their segments, and since I wasn't pelted with tomatoes or booed, I'm presuming that the audience enjoyed mine as well. My next stop was Calcutta, where I had been invited to speak at the Birla Academy of Art and Culture. My moderators were heavyweights, and I have to confess that I was a bit nervous at the start. Dr. Ananda Lal, a retired professor of English, scion of a prominent publishing family and one of India's best-known theatre critics I had met before, 
when I was in Calcutta with Meher Kaur to present Kultar's Mime. The second moderator was Dr. Sugatha Bose, the well-known Harvard historian who had arrived from Boston the very day. The event was absolutely fabulous. Both the moderators were kind and generous, and of course as erudite as one would have expected them to be. Besides, they seemed to have thoroughly enjoyed reading the book, which was absolutely humbling. In Delhi, I was hosted by the Paivir Singh Saitya Sadhan, and I must say that the highlight was the refreshingly blunt and sometimes hilarious observations of Sadar Mohinder Singh, who manages the institution. He regaled us with stories from his travels in Pakistan as he tried to convey a sense of the esteem that Maharaja Ranjit Singh still inspires in Lahore. I was absolutely delighted to have the young author Anchal Malhotra, the author of the highly regarded remnants of a partition, as one of the panelists at the event. I would be remiss if I didn't share at least one of Sadar Mohinder Singh's stories. Several years ago, during a trip to Lahore, Sardar Mohinder Singh found himself at the Fakir Khana Museum, which is run by the descendants of Fakir Azizuddin, who served Maharaja Ranjit Singh as his physician and chief diplomat. During his lifetime, the Maharaja was addressed as Sarkare Khalsa, often abbreviated to Sarkar. Sardar Mohinder Singh's host was enthusiastically showing him various artifacts and was in the process of opening a large trunk which contained some rare and valuable pieces. All the while, during the conversation, the scion of the Fakir family would refer to the monarch very respectfully as Sarkar, while Sardar Mohinder Singh would simply refer to him as Ranjit Singh. Finally, his host could take it no more and balefully slammed the trunk shut. I refer to the Maharaja as Sarkar, and you keep going Ranjit Singh this and Ranjit Singh that? I refuse to show you anything. The next event was at Maja House, a new literary and cultural organization in Amritsar. I was hosted by Preeti Gill, the founder, who is a literary agent and very well known in Indian publishing circles. It was absolutely a delight to meet her very affable husband, Kulvinder Gill, who is the epitome of graciousness and hospitality. And it was wonderful to be in conversation with the well-known journalist Nirupama Dutt, who had many interesting observations about the book and went on to write about it in the Hindustan Times, focusing on Sada Kaur, who happens to be one of my favorite characters in the book as well. The following morning, I headed to Patiala to speak at Punjabi University, dreading the appearance just a tiny bit. I was being hosted by Dr. Surjit Singh, the head of the Punjabi department, who had suggested that I address the students in Punjabi. Now this was a bit of a curveball. I do speak fluent Punjabi and have as a child, but I've always felt that my Punjabi is very simple and rather inelegant. One of the vestiges of our colonial past is that many in India whose schooling has been similar to mine tend to, quote, think in English. The notion of having an intellectual discourse with the academics of the Punjabi department in Punjabi definitely had seemed intimidating, but I had agreed. 
Dr. Sujit Singh had felt that if I spoke in English, the students would certainly understand what I was saying, but would be reluctant to engage. I decided to plow on in Punjabi, albeit with some trepidation. It was a most engaging discussion. I was actually a bit nonplussed when I was politely asked why the empire of Ranjit Singh should be termed a Sikh state, even though the monarch was hardly an exemplar of the Sikh way of life. When I countered that Ranjit Singh was very much a Sikh, grounded in the Sikh tradition, his legendary appetites notwithstanding, my questioner suggested with a sly smile that perhaps India should have been termed a Sikh state as well when Dr. Manmohan Singh was Prime Minister. Of course, this made me chuckle, but the real answer is that Ranjit Singh very much drew his power from the Sikh Panth, whose might was represented both by the Sikh soldiery as well as the Sikh missiles or confederacies. For me, the highlight of the event was the embrace of the work by the academics and thinkers of Punjabi University. I was encouraged to quickly publish a Punjabi translation in both Gurmukhi and Shamukhi, which would enable a much broader readership from both sides of the border to engage with the work. One of the highlights of the tour for me personally was the concluding commentary by Dr. Ishwar Dayal Gaur, a highly respected Punjabi historian. He observed that this was one of the first works on Maharaja Ranjit Singh's time in decades and deemed it pioneering for its literary approach to history with a focus on storytelling and accessibility. I can tell you that I left Patiala very happy and excited. A behemoth in the world of Punjabi literature awaited me in Chandigarh, but before I talk about him, I must acknowledge a debt. While my publisher had arranged some of the initial events during my book tour, several events, particularly those that were held in Punjab, were because of the kindness of Sadar Hirdepal Singh, son of the late Sadar Gurbak Singh of Preetlari fame. In particular, he had introduced me to Dr. Surjit Patar, and Sardar Gulzar Singh Sandhu, who don't need to be introduced to lovers of Punjabi literature. Sardar Gulzar Singh Sandhu wrote a lovely review of the book in Punjabi in Ajit, and Dr. Patar, who heads up the Punjab Arts Council, arranged my talk in Chandigarh. The Chandigarh event attracted many of the literati of the city, and a most engaging discussion ensued. It spilled over into yet another event a few days later, when the Kendri Singh Sabha of Chandigarh invited students, as well as many luminaries associated with the Institute of Sikh Studies, to a gathering focused on the book. It was wonderful to meet Sadar Guttej Singh, whose post-1984 writings I have read with great interest, as well as Sardar Gurdashan Singh Tillon and Sardar Ashok Singh Bagriya. I also got yelled at by a senior academic who shall remain nameless, who maintained that Ranjit Singh was a great hero and anything negative ever written about him was British garbage. Engaging with students is something that I tremendously enjoy, and I had ample opportunity to do that in Punjab. I visited the Akal Academy at Baru Sahib, the Eternal University at Talwandi Sabu, 
and had wonderful events at Gurnanak Dev University and DAV College in Amritsar. The auditoriums were packed with students, and it was truly gratifying to see them engage and ask questions. Here, I would like to pause and let my listeners know that Punjabi hospitality is alive and well, regardless of reports of its demise. I was treated with respect and affection everywhere I went, but Punjab was special. I will share just a couple of instances. It was my last day in Amritsar, and it was brutally hot. I decided to stop at a bank on my way to the airport to withdraw some cash. Now, these days in India, most banks have a little air-conditioned alcove that customers can enter to use an ATM. These are typically tiny and often can accommodate no more than one person at a time. I was in line outside behind a young fellow, probably in his late 20s. Just making polite conversation, I observed how hot it was and said I wished they would make these alcoves larger so that they could accommodate more people. The young man promptly ceded his place in the queue to me and insisted that I go first. The same afternoon, I had an event at the Gurunanak Dev University, which is quite far from Hall Bazaar, the center of Amritsar where my hotel was. I had a flight to catch later, and I asked one of the professors who was hosting me to send for a cab. A graduate student who had attended my talk, Anurit Kaur, promptly volunteered to drive me back to the city, willing to brave the chaotic traffic without batting an eyelid. She even heeded the red lights that we encountered on our way out of respect for me, while informing me that in Amritsar, traffic signals are largely vestigial. But all joking aside, these are just a couple of examples of the many acts of kindness and hospitality that my trip to Punjab was marked by. The next stop was Mumbai, where a launch event had been scheduled at Khalsa College in Matunga, it was quite an experience to visit a college in Mumbai that is so steeped in the Sikh ethos that the vice principal, who happened to be Catholic, led the extremely diverse student body in a robust rendition of the hymn or Shabad, De Shiva Barmoe Ehe. Once again, the students responded brilliantly and we had an excellent dialogue. The management of the college and several Local members of the Sikh community who were present would not let me excuse myself until I made a solemn promise to return the next time my travels brought me to India. Another highlight of my Mumbai trip was a visit to a lovely bookshop to sign copies of The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia. The Kitab Khana, now one of Mumbai's leading bookstores, rose from the ashes of the Strand, which I used to visit regularly as a young man in Mumbai several years ago. After visiting my old haunts in Mumbai, I proceeded to Bangalore, where a real treat awaited me. I actually did not have concrete plans to visit Bangalore during this trip, as my publisher had been unable to line up any events in the city. I vaguely remembered that my dear friend Harinder of the Sikh Research Institute fame had mentioned a name to me several years ago when we had been planning the Bangalore performance of Kultar's Mime. Sardar Chiranjeev Singh is a retired officer of the elite Indian Administrative Services and former ambassador to UNESCO. 
After getting his number from Hrinder, I called him and introduced myself, as well as the camel merchant of Philadelphia. We had a most cordial conversation, and I learned that he had actually attended the Bangalore performance of Kultar's mime, though we hadn't connected then. As we chatted further, I told him about my past association with Bangalore during my days as an executive in tech. When I mentioned that I would often visit the Ulsur Gurdwara, the main place of Sikh worship in Bangalore to sing, there was a perceptible pause. Many years earlier, I read an article by someone who visited the Gurdwara and wrote about a violin player who just showed up and provided accompaniment while he was singing. Are you that person? he asked. During one of my visits, I had indeed encountered a violin player at the Gurdwara who had provided beautiful accompaniment as I sang Basant and other melodies of the spring. It had truly been a memorable experience, but I had never met the violinist again. At that time, I used to write a blog about Sikh sacred music or Gurmit Sangeet, and I had told the tale of the mystery violinist, which quite by coincidence Sardar Chiranjeev Singh had read. Well, within a few minutes, the Bangalore launch of the Camel Merchant of Philadelphia was all set, Sardar Chiranjeev Singh graciously offered to host it at the Guru Har Krishan School, which is associated with the Al-Sud Gurdwara. I got to spend a bit of time with Sardar Chiranjeev Singh during my visit. Our conversations were wide-ranging, and I was impressed by his knowledge as well as the expansiveness of his worldview as a Sikh. My writing and the final episodes of Season 2 of The Story of the Sikhs will surely be informed by our interaction. What a treat it was. The other treat, of course, was finally meeting with my editor at Westland Books, Karthik Venkatesh. It has truly been a pleasure working with him, and he deserves a lot of credit for the fine job that Westland did publishing my book. Karthik is from southern India, but speaks fluent Punjabi, having lived in Punjab for several years. His love of all things Punjabi was very apparent as we worked together on the book, and it informed the project in profound ways. Karthik had also arranged a talk and book signing at Champaka, a new bookstore in Bangalore. It was a moderated discussion with lively audience participation, and the moderator was none other than Jagdish Raja, the co-founder of Jagrathi Theatre, where we had presented Kultar's Mime four years earlier. It was lovely to reconnect with him, and as I expected, his insightful questions and observations made the event truly memorable. Of course, no visit to Bangalore for me is ever complete without visiting the Al-Sud Gurdwara, and Siddharth Chiranjeev Singh had very kindly arranged for me to sing there, and I had a wonderful time presenting Shabad Zindrag Malhar and its variants, as it is customary in the world of Gurmit Sangeet this time of year. My book tour is almost over. I have a scheduled event in Gangtok at a local bookstore called Rechna Books, which is well-known in literary circles far beyond this town. And I am excited because many of my childhood friends will be there. From Gangtok, I shall return to Delhi for my final event, again at the Paivir Singh Saitya Southern, organized specially for the students of Delhi University. 
The book tour has really been the experience of a lifetime, and I fear that I shall suffer terrible withdrawal after I return home. Perhaps a follow-on tour of the US, UK, and Canada will provide some relief. The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia is available in bookstores all over India. If you live in one of the major metros, you might even be able to find a signed copy at your favorite bookstore. Everywhere else, it is available on Amazon. If you would like to arrange an event in your community focused on the Camel Merchant of Philadelphia and the court of Maharaja Ranjit Singh, please contact us at storyofthesix at giaea.com. The Story of the Six is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of the poem Kultarsmarm, which was adapted for the stage and tells the story of the massacre of the Six in Delhi in 1984. The Story of the Six is produced by Almast Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. The episode features a rendition of Raga Darbari. I'm co-producer Erica Wong. Thank you for listening. <laughs>